This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Everybody, this is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, the post Extreme Rules, and what a horror show it was! Edition uh, alongside, uh, actually joining me, uh, joining John and I, actually because I'll, I'll J- John will join me later. But is Carlos Toro, formerly from Fightful, but uh, hoping to uh, do some stuff with us in, in the near future? Carlos, what's going on? I'm pretty good. Doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, I can't believe I was just thinking about this today. The last time you had me on the podcast was for, I believe, to talk about, I think it was Joshua Fier- uh, Ruiz. I think it was for that. Oh, yeah. And it was and I checked it was eight months ago. And I really can't believe it's only been eight months. It has felt <laughs> like forever. Like this pandemic has felt longer than eight months. I know it's uh it sucks because, you know, now I, I don't know, you know, politically how, how how deep you want to get into this. But I mean, I feel like, you know, the, the last several months have just been like the 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 practice, <laughs> like just basically the way things have happened because we're back at square one. And I'm just like, oh, I, ho- I really hope that we learned from, you know, those first few months so that we could actually get into action and figure things out. But it, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like one we're back to square one, but at the same time we're trying to be at step four while also being at square one at the same time. And I that's a recipe for disaster. But at this point, with the thing, with the way things have been going, uh, I mean, you you hope for the best, but man, it just it there, it almost seems like there's still no light at the end of the of the tunnel. So you you're out in Cleveland, right? So Ohio, how is Ohio the state uh, as far as cases and as far as, you know, people wearing masks and all that stuff? How's it going out there? So at the very least, I can safely say that Ohio is not doing as bad as as poorly as some of these other states with where the cases are just astronomically high. I wouldn't say it's great, 
But I, I've, at the very least, I've noticed a lot of people are starting to wear their masks. They're, they've been trying their best to follow social distancing rules. Hell, I, I feel even more comfortable going to the gym at my apartment building because everyone is either social distancing, wearing their masks, or just disinfecting their gym equipment. So I, I'd say things are positive all things considered but yeah i believe I, I think cases have been slowly climbing back up but it's definitely nowhere near as bad as some of these other states yeah yeah it's, it's still it's pretty bad out in california they opened up the state a little bit which was a mistake i mean it, it's a mistake from a health perspective you know i'm sure they did it partially uh for business reasons um and it just you know it went it went backwards on us so uh, we are back, like I said, back at square one, and and we'll see what happens. But before we get into the show, uh, you you have a YouTube channel, and you were talking about earlier when we were talking, you were talking about kind of getting that thing going. And I, like I said, also, you know, you're going to be doing a little bit of writing for us. Um, you know, what are like as a writer who writes about boxing and pro wrestling. But, you know, I'm sure you, you have a little bit of more time, at least, to get some writing done because we're kind of stuck in the house. But, you know, if you look back at what you were doing six months ago, like, like how has your game changed from content and, and, and writing and all that? So for the most part... And just to sort of give a little bit of context to those of you who don't know, so I write for Fightful. I mainly was their uh, boxing writer, really their only boxing writer. So by default, I was their lead boxing reporter. <laughs> and I just and I basically kind of decided to go off on my own, at least on the boxing side, uh, you know, try to explore other opportunities. And as you mentioned, I do have a YouTube channel, uh, which is just you can look up at, as Carlos Toro Media, where I've done a couple of interviews with some boxing who either have fought recently on these ESPN shows in Las Vegas or are going to be mm. fighting on these Matchroom UK shows. I believe one of them I interviewed is actually going to be headlining the first Matchroom Fight Camp series in August. But it's been a little bit different. It's been a little weird because you almost start to wonder up to a certain point, you know, how is much is there going to be anything that I can write about? Because on the boxing side, you know, when everything shut down in March, there was really nothing to do. And and hell, even just trying to get interviews with with boxers and everything, that was a little bit difficult because one, there's nothing to talk about at this point. Uh, and two, some, some guys just don't want to talk. So it was a little hard kind of trying to get different kinds of content out there. I guess in some regards, I'm sort of thankful uh, that WWE and AEW never really stopped. Although I, there's a part of me that I wish that they did for health reasons. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the way I look at it is, you know, pro wrestling in some way, shape or form, they're always going to be churning out something newsworthy to write about, whether it be good or, you know, in the case of the last couple of weeks, it's been pretty bad and pretty serious. So it's on the wrestling side. It's been I don't want to say more of the same, but it's been the workload has sort of been similar. It's just a matter of trying to get different kinds of content out there because, you know, New Japan wasn't on for a couple of months roh is still not doing stuff same with mlw so it's been a primarily 
WWE, AEW past few months. So it'll be interesting to see now that other promotions are starting to do shows, whether it be empty arenas or just with just a few hundred or a couple thousand fans. So it's been a struggle at times, but nothing, you know, some overwhelming. Really, the struggle has been just trying to find the motivation to write in these days when you're stuck at home all the time and yeah. and just everything going on with with trying to keep up with what's going on in the outside world in relations to pro wrestling and everything. So it's been it's been a struggle, but I would not say that it's been too bad at least for me i know there are some writers who uh, especially sports writers who have been laid off at yeah. a number of different media entities so i'm just thankful that really my career hasn't been affected too much so i, I can definitely be thankful for that well um no, it's good. It's good to hear. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people have taken maybe a little bit more of a historical angle. Let me watch some of this old stuff and write about old stuff. I, I, I just assumed that because WWE and AEW continued going on, at least for Fightful, Sean's website, um, I, I would imagine that things were okay. And, you know, I don't know if page views or, or whatever were down, but it's it didn't seem like they would be necessarily in a big way because like you said, WWE and AEW didn't really stop. So that there was never a stopping point for websites focused on, uh, on those two. And, and the UFC, you know, it took the UFC a little while to get back, but, but they're back and they, they you know, they, they have more shows than anybody. So pretty interesting time, but um, let, let's move on. I, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. Cause you and I haven't really had a chance to talk shop as much, but hopefully we will down the line. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, uh, just wanted to alert those listening that on uh, Wednesday morning, the Rocky Four podcast will go up. Duan and I uh, have. I, I I don't know if it was the most fun, but Rocky Four is such a. a, a I call it the. MTV movie of the series. It's literally like just a music video. There's montage after montage. But it is also like the favorite movie by a lot of people who were kind of in that age range. Um, you know, they, they seem to love that movie the most. So we talk a little bit about that and why people love it and why some people don't love it. Like it, it's, you know, you, it's really Rocky, right? Rocky at that point, Rocky three and Rocky four, he's at his superhero stage of the series. So really fun to, to go back and, 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 uh, talk about that movie. And then, you know, there's also a little bit of as sly is thrown out some rumors of his own on Instagram about doing a director's cut of Rocky four. And we, we talk about that. We actually, even before I heard that he said that there's been rumors that there's a version out there that is much longer than uh, the one that we got in the theaters. So that'll be out Wednesday. And then right after Carlos and I are done, John will join me and we will talk about the Great American Bash 1992. We were supposed to cover the uh, July 18th version of WCW Saturday Night, but it's not on the network. And the copy that we had, the audio was off. So we just decided to talk about the show itself, the pay-per-view. Bill Watts's first WCW pay-per-view show where he was really kind of in charge of everything so that'll that'll come after this show or, or this segment between carlos and myself so before we actually get to the rundown i, I want to do something a little bit different usually when i do these pay-per-view rundowns we just kind of get right into the matches and, and talk about you know what happened but i kind of wanted to start it by looking at 
if you were to some if someone asked you, okay, Carlos, Extreme Rules, the horror show at Extreme Rules, how would you summarize it from a what was good, what was bad, and what was ugly about it? And we don't have we'll get into the details of the show and all the matches, but just to give people who may not have watched the show a bit of a high level viewpoint of the show, what if you if you could say one thing you liked about this show, what would you call the good? I would definitely have to say the in-ring wrestling was very solid throughout the night. I didn't think there was a single bad match per se. Some of the matches could have been better if you know if it were not for either stipulations or the match finish. But we'll get into that deep, uh, deeper into the show. But I, I thought the overall wrestling, the in-ring part, belt to belt, I thought it was a, a very very solid show. Not a single match disappointed or was below expectations. It, it all either met expectations or just slightly above it. I, I fully agree with you, and I think some of that comes from. The expectations were so low because the TV hasn't been really good. And, and, and I, I'm saying that based on not watching the TV, but mostly reading recaps and, and hearing others' viewpoint of the TV. But the build was weird and not great. And sometimes when that happens, while having a bad build is really negative because people don't really want to watch the show... But for those hardcores who do watch the show, you come in with having low expectations. And a lot of times the show actually over delivers. And I, and I agree with you 100%. I, I thought there were some really fun matches. The in-ring was was strong on the show. What, what about the bad? So as I kind of teased a little bit, I thought the bad was, you know, some of the matches, how they finish or more so the how WWE books them. And it kind of goes into a larger point that I've always thought for a long, long time is the the need for these gimmick pay-per-views. I, I've never been a big fan of having like an, uh, in a calendar year, a TLC pay-per-view, a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, an Extreme Rules pay-per-view like that. That's a little bit too much. Uh, gimmick matches, gimmick pay-per-views that you're kind of starting to force. And and I think that some of the matches have uh, suffered as a result. I think, you know, Cesaro, Nakamura with The New Day, I thought there is a fantastic match between those two. You put them in a tables match and, you know, you're not going to get that the best possible match between those two. I thought, you know, the pre-show match, if you had just moved that up to the main show and just given Kevin Owens and Murphy 20 minutes, I thought this would have been, uh, you know, a hidden gem, maybe a match of the month, sleeper, hit of the year type of match. So overall, I thought the booking and the stipulations that some of these matches had was not great because it hinders some of those matches but i get in some respects i get why they had to do it but i just don't like that it was all part of just some larger gimmick pay-per-view that i i think it kind of wore itself out at this point yeah no i think i think those are really great points what i would consider the bad is um so uh, the there, there were a couple of finishes on this show, which I thought ruined uh, a little bit uh, of the enjoyment uh, of a match. And, and we'll talk about the one specifically I'm thinking of is, is Sasha Banks and, and Asuka. Overbooked, not necessary, and, and it took something that I really enjoyed and then I was kind of frustrated. But the fin- the finish, the overthinking, the overbooking 
would be the bad for me. But what about the ugly? You know, you you had you know, I guess a problem with the Sasha Banks Baylor finish, even though, it, and I also have my own complaints about it. But for me, the ugly was just the way they finished that Ray Seth Rollins match. I thought <laughs> it was, uh, it was just so bizarre. And and in some regard, there's this very small part of me that thought that they didn't do enough. I I was disappointed that they didn't do more. Like they kept talking so much about someone's eye being gouged out and we never really saw it at least like a, a, a live in the, on the network and it took like twitter sleuths to find like yeah. one frame of like the fake eye that ray had and then you had seth rollins just start vomiting out out of nowhere and i thought like if you're gonna do dumb stuff like that at least embrace the dumb stuff let us see like the dumb fake guy let's have Rollins kind of just vomit a la Ultimate Warrior when Papa Shango <laughs> cursed him. I thought, yeah. you know, if you're going to do something stupid like that, you know what? At least go all the way and embrace it. Yeah, they they, they didn't know. They, they didn't know if they should go wacky or if they should go serious. And they decided to go serious, which was really weird because they carried this storyline throughout. So I, I'm going to agree with you in, in part in the, just that the two biggest... Uh, marketed matches on the show were the eye for an eye and the the swamp match. And when you build your entire show based on those two things, they have to deliver. And I thought, you know, some people are going to say that that Ray versus um, that Ray versus Seth was a good match. Some people are going to say that. I, I and I'll, and I'll disagree and I'll, and I'll say why when we go over that match. But both of those under delivered to me big time and. You know, if, if I, I'm I'm gonna watch most WWE pay, all pretty you know all WWE pay per views, but let's say, for instance, that somebody who's kind of been a fan here and there, casual, and they were kind of interested. They heard about the Boneyard match. You know, they they thought the um, you know maybe the Firehouse Fun Fly match. Uh, they heard good things, and then they're like, you know what, brazen it again, Swamp like. And then they decided to to take their shot to come back and watch. Oh my God! You know the just just the making making you know WWE is so much about the spectacle and making things bigger than life. And when they have the opportunity to do this with these cinema matches, you can see how short sighted they are. Sometimes it's it's really it's really uh, bad, especially when you know for me if I if I'm going to buy a pay per view. And it's like, oh, Ray and Seth for 17 minutes, let him go. That's the selling point for me, not a fake eye pull. So that 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 that, that would have been the ugly for me. But let's actually uh, take a quick break. Uh, you can hang out here with me as I talk about Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Carlos, is there a specific sport that is coming back that you're most excited for? And then on the flip side, uh, sort of most worried about because it doesn't look like, you know, things are going well. I am. I was really, really excited 
when they announced that Major League Baseball and NBA was going to come back. But after seeing some of the stuff that we've been hearing about the COVID-19 testing and, you know, players being left in the dark and even the NFL, I am pretty worried that this will easily backfire. But this is also a small part of me that is excited to have these sports coming back. Absolutely. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight. Darren Till and Robert Whitaker this weekend. Or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back. Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That is promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, so let's go from beginning to end of this show, and let's give our thoughts. Uh, you watched the um, the pre-show match. Yes. So tell me about the pre-show match, because I, I didn't dial in until right when the pay-per-view started. So it was simply just Kevin Owens and Murphy, and and I really liked this match because this was not overbooked. This was not, there was no, you know, Seth Rollins interference. There wasn't none of that. It was just a straight wrestling match between Owens and Murphy for eight to nine, I think it was like nine to 11 minutes, somewhere around that range. And it was a pretty good match for the most part. It was your prototypical, you know, pre-show match where you have two really talented guys just given, you know, a limited amount of time and, you know, with no storyline implications. And they just had a, a solid match. It was pretty physical at times. There was a, I believe it was a Meteora from Murphy that, that he landed on Owen that was really, really rough. But overall, you know, not going to get any complaints from me. It was a good match. I guess if the only nitpick would be that this is a match that should have been on the main show that I think would have salvaged it by a lot. And if you had given these guys 20 minutes... I think you would have absolutely, I think a lot of people will have a different opinion of this entire show because mm-hmm. Owens and Murphy had a good match for what they had. And if they had twice as much time, this would have been a killer match. So the show kicks off with New Day against Cesaro and Nakamura. Um, you already mentioned that that you, you like this match. I liked, I liked the work in the match. But to me, and I don't, I don't know why this was because the show went off air like at uh, 35 after, so a good 25 minutes uh, before the three-hour mark. I thought it was a beginning and then it was an end. Like I missed the middle part. Like where was the middle to sort of set up, you know, the, the finish? But then again, it's a, it's a tornado style because it's a tables match. And so there was really no natural uh, heat or shine and um, some some good stuff, you know. I, Kofi and, and Big E are really at a high level right now. Um, Cesaro as well, you know. Nakamura is Nakamura. He, he's not. He's not. Uh, you know. He, he's 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 laying off on the gas pedal for the most part. But um, in the end, uh, Cesaro has Kofi stacked up uh, on a for a power bomb. He's on the top turnbuckle. There's two tables stacked on the outside. Nakamura helps pull Kofi up into powerbomb position and Cesaro tosses him through the two stacked tables. And I tried to watch to see if, you know, the, the bump, but Kofi, Kofi lays out his arms. So his shoulders break the table. And as he goes through the second table, looks like he was completely protected. So I believe that was fully safe, but it looked great. 
and Cesaro and Nakamura are the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. What were your thoughts here? I thought this was a good match. You know, as you mentioned, it, it felt like it was there was a good start and then there was a good finish and there really was no middle. And, and I agree. It was I don't want to say like they were just going through the motions, just going to uh, a sprint to the finish because it feels like a bit of a disservice to the work rate in this match. I thought it was very, very solid. Uh, I, I thought that this was a match where if this was just a straight up tag team match or even if you just kept the tornado tag team rules for this match i thought it would have been a much better match i think table matches by nature hinder matches and it was really funny because i'm not sure if you are aware i know they mentioned on commentary a couple of times but it could have easily slipped most people by but there was a a little known vote between i think it was snickers and dollar general on deciding what would the what the stipulation of this match was going to be it was a tables and a steel cage match and apparently it was so close the vote that they had a match on smackdown uh, i think it was Cesaro <laughs> and Big E, where the winner would get the good to pick the stipulation it was kind of obvious that it was going to be a tables match and i kind of felt like if they had gone with the steel cage it would have been a better match or at the very least there was a bigger chance of it being a better match because let's be honest how you, we, there are far more better steel cage matches than tables matches and i, I do want to there's one little nitpick in this match and by the way again i really like this match mm-hmm. uh, where kofi was just trying to cheer biggie on because right before the the spot where you had kofi go through both tables biggie had cesaro up for a superplex and nakamura was also in the same shot trying to just regroup himself and then suddenly it almost they try to make it as if he came out of nowhere but like kofi was just cheering biggie on and never even noticed that shinsuke nakamura was also within you know within his peripheral vision and could have just easily tried to stop shinsuke nakamura from you know stopping Big E so I thought that was a weird little thing I thought that was partially the fault of the camera crew because you could easily tell that was it made Kofi look kind of geeky in that response that he didn't do anything to stop it and could have easily won the match but overall I thought the action was solid I thought the work rate was really really good it's all four guys are fantastic but Overall, I, I thought it could have been a better match if you had either done a straight wrestling match or a steel cage match. So the next match was one I thought over-delivered my expectations big time. I really, really liked this match. And depending how I feel about the Sasha uh, the Sasha match with Asuka, it was either that one or this one is my favorite match of the night. Um, with a good finish, it would have been the Sasha match, but because of the bad finish, it may be this. I, I haven't really decided, but uh, you know, Bailey and Sasha, I've talked about them uh, for many, many shows. How much I love them as a team. I think they accentuate each and they make each other better. And so even you know, I know I know the talk is uh, we're going to build to this um, to this breakup, but man, just let's put that breakup off because they are so entertaining on on these shows and just really good. Both of them are excellent wrestlers. They and and you know their charisma is almost built off of each other. So you take them away from each other, and I kind of wonder how the charisma works as well. But so you know, Bailey is so she's so overconfident coming into the ring. Nikki, you know, Nikki doesn't really have a chance. And so you had this really good 
overconfident heel fighting underdog babyface match that was the back and forth and back and forth version of, you know, really good version of that style of match. Um, maybe my favorite Nikki Cross match ever, uh, at least as far as WWE, because I don't remember seeing her too much before WWE, but I thought she was awesome in that underdog babyface, fighting babyface role. Uh, so um, she catches Bailey off guard and, and nearly beats her the neck breaker. So she gets, she gets a near fall right out of the gate. And it's really a, a hit and run. She's hitting moves, trying to get the pin, hitting moves, trying to get the pin. Really smart babyface work. Uh, Bailey finally gets the upper hand, takes her to the outside, slams her face against the plexiglass. Bailey hits the Bailey to belly for a two, so they let Nikki Cross kick out of that. I know that's not really Bailey's finish anymore, but it used to be. Um, Cross gets a comeback, goes to the top rope. Bailey moves out of the way. Cross gets another near fall, and you can tell at this point she's really frustrated because she she feels like she's you know she's hitting Bailey with, with everything. She gives Bailey two back suplexes for near fall. Um, she dumps her on her. She does a like a neck breaker from the apron to the floor, which was really cool. Though I don't like all these floor bumps because they're just too many of them, so they don't really mean anything. Um, and then back in the ring, Sasha gives Bailey her her ring that says boss on it. Bailey punches her in the gut, which I liked because, and here I'll tell you why I liked that, because if she punches her in the face and there's no blood or there's no mark, then it's really kind of, you know, it's just too fake. So I like the fact that she hit her in the gut. Now, does hitting, if you take a ring and you hit me in the stomach with it, does it hurt more than your normal punch that i don't know <laughs> but uh then she she had she, her finisher that that face buster with the leg and and she pins nikki i i just really i really like this match and you know I, i'm I, after this match i'm higher on nikki cross than i probably have ever been yeah yeah i i always knew nikki cross was always a very very talented wrestler but they it almost felt like she was never given much of a chance to shine because when she was in nxt she was with sanity and even though she to a lot of people she was the high point of sanity and never gave her a a chance to kind of break off and be a real star on her own right and then she's been like the number two to Alexis Bliss's number one so I really really like this match I thought it I was a little worried that it was not going to be as good as I thought or at least my expectations uh but but I thought this was a good match I thought I really liked the finish as you mentioned the the whole ring slash I guess yeah they're kind of like glorified brass knuckles yeah true the ribs and and I loved how Nikki was selling it afterwards, and not just at the finish for the match, but also afterwards. She's constantly holding, I think it was her right side that she was holding uh, of her ribs, and you know, constantly, you know, favoring it. I thought it was a good match. I thought there was a really really good story. I thought there was, and overall, I thought Extreme Rules for the women was a two. It was it wasn't two isolated matches. It was you had. Not just Bailey and Sasha Banks, but you also had on the other side the Kabuki Warriors trying to cheer and hype up Nikki before the match because Asuka is also def- was defending her title against Sasha Banks, and then you had and she just had this overall story between these six women, and I thought it 
played off for the most part pretty well because you got Bailey and Sasha who have been an absolute. They have really been, in my opinion, the best part of WWE during this whole pandemic, or at the very least, the post Becky Lynch pregnancy announcement. And I know they they were sort of teasing the breakup between Bailey and Sasha, even if they weren't doing as well as they are right now. I think it'd be a dumb decision to break them off right now, especially when there's no crowd, when a lot of people right, wanted right. that that breakup to happen. Now I kind of just don't want it to happen, even when crowds come back. It's, they're just, they, they somehow managed to catch lightning in a bottle with these two, and it's, you just cannot. If you want to, you want to take off the tag titles off of them at some point, fine, but don't stifle the run that they are on because it is incredible what they're doing right now absolutely we had a really weird segment after this and i thought there was going to be some payoff maybe later in the show but it did not happen uh match was supposed to be apollo cruz and mvp and i guess the storyline was that apollo cruz didn't pass his pre-match physical due to an injury from bobby lashley and so mvp came out took that new u.s title put it around his waist. Bobby Lashley was cheering him on and they walked out and that was it. So I know Apollo Crews hasn't been on TV of late. And then they didn't really describe what happened to him and why he's not on the show. And when they do that, my automatic thought is that he it's COVID-19 related. And I hope I'm wrong, but the fact that they don't yeah, say anything is uh you know only leads you to kind of wonder what's going on like usually you know usually that they will say they will give an injury that maybe isn't the real injury but it just sounds better but here they didn't even really say much so it just made me wonder like oh i wonder if this poor guy is you know has got is really sick or something it, it's it could also be maybe not necessarily apollo getting COVID 19 but just him being exposed to someone sure in WWE, had COVID-19, and there's already been confirmed uh, reports of people in WWE getting COVID-19. There's some reports that saying the number is really, really high. So it could just simply be a matter of that. But I, I hate that my automatic response, like you said, it's, oh, it's got to be COVID-19 related. And I hope it's not that. And I hope there's a perfectly sound reason for Apollo's absence. But it, it's just a way... Things are that like every time that something happens or someone's off TV for an inconspicuous amount of time, it's got to be COVID related. It's not even, you know, creative or for an actual physical injury. It's it, it is the way it's the world that we live in. And I, I really don't like it, but I hope that Apollo is all right in real life and hopefully he comes back to TV soon. All right. So this next match, I think most people thought that the ending of this match was really dumb and and I will agree with them but a lot of people liked the wrestling and I I get it but I'll tell you why I didn't like this match at all and I think now you're talking about some of you know a company that has done some really 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 dumb matches prior the blindfold match with uh you know, Rick Martel and Jake Roberts, right? Where they could both see through the blindfold. A lot of people think that that... Some people actually like that match, but it's it's really terrible. Um, 
but that's like a silly idea, right? For what wrestling is. And here, when they did the eye for an eye stipulation, my immediate thought was it's going to be one of the cinema matches that where, where they're going to post produce this crazy thing and CGI effects and all this stuff. And they didn't do that at all. Instead, when the sole purpose of having this match is to pull the other man's out, eye out, they went in the ring, they had a little bit of a brawl, and they had mostly a wrestling match. Now, I was trying to think, like, and this is really stupid to think, but if you if you were trying to pull somebody's eyeball out, <laughs> you would probably try and you know maybe tie them up in some sort of jujitsu uh, submission hold. Uh, may, may, you know, maybe tie, maybe lock their arms so they can't reach your arms, and and you know, like 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 they do in in the UFC, you know, the 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 little brother move or whatever, exposing just the face, and then you you can do something. And you know, if they went out and they did a match like that, I could forgive, not uh, not fully, but I could forgive some of the stupid stipulation when they were doing. Hurricane Rana's and stuff off the ropes and 619 stuff. Like when they're doing all of that stuff, it is so silly to me. And then, you know, they were getting these weapons. And instead of doing like a realistic weapon attack, you know, it was Seth pretending like he's going to jab his eye out by throwing this wild overhand right that Ray sees coming and he moves out of the way and then Seth bashes it against the ring steps. So just really silly stuff that kept the uh, seriousness out of it. And and I'm only saying, you know, I don't think it should have been serious, but based on what we said, the way they treated it was serious. So if they're treating it that way, then I supposed to, I, I'm supposed to treat it that way. So then there, there's, you know, there's an attack on the eye and there's a pushing of the eyeball. And I don't know, maybe that breaks the orbital socket and you can actually scoop an eyeball out. But it just looked like they were like trying to push it further back into the head. And then they did the same thing with the ring steps, the corner of the ring steps, push the eye. And then finally, Seth does that to Ray and he pushes the eye. Um, and like you said, we don't see that the eyeballs actually come out. We hear the announcers and we see Seth pretend or i guess he was i don't know what he did he like drink something so they so that he could puke out whatever he was eating yeah it was really really weird <laughs> and and so uh and so you know if you go on twitter you can see the eyeball out uh, in in <clears throat> on fight game media i i have the i have a, a photo of where the eye supposedly came out um and and ray is covering it and it's kind of out of you know it, it's sitting there on top of his face but man just you know something that I thought was going to be really dumb, and and maybe maybe that is, you know, they did not let me down in in that, in, you know, with that uh, thing there with with just with this match. I I was just you know I just for the, you know, for the few times where you know I go back, you know, John and I always talk about this, but you know, there are certain moments in wrestling where we kind of feel like we're kids again, and we're kind of looking around, like looking around the room, going like, oh man, I hope my dad's not coming in right now because I'll be really ashamed and like we're grown men. But that's how I felt watching this match was like, thank God I'm not 12 and my dad is not in the other room waiting to watch TV. It was, it was a very weird 
match. As you mentioned, it was like one of those, are they going to treat it seriously or are they going to treat it like some sort of wacky thing? And it was, and I kind of felt like they never truly embraced one or the other. And there was just some things in this match, like the weapon choices. Like you're talking like, like he was, Seth was trying to use like the end of a chair to, <laughs> I don't even know what, what was the purpose. Like he was trying to jam it on Ray's I, I guess if you squish the eye and you take out the remains, I suppose you, you can win that way. I'm disappointed that they didn't even try to do like a Kill Bill type of uh, eye gouging where they just all of a sudden they, they just had one of these guys try to do le- like the bride and Kill Bill and just automatically take the eye out with some <laughs> weird uh, cinema- cinematic shots or anything like that. But it was just... It was just bizarre. I, I was not a fan of like the actual wrestling, not because the wrestling was bad. I thought it was good, but it was not what you needed if you were trying to make this a serious thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I can forgive them if they try to do like I, I understand the eye for an eye is a poetic justice type of deal. And I think, you know, from a storyline standpoint, it makes sense. But I do feel like you can. Say you can just have a regular extreme rules match and you can kind of more or less achieve the same thing that you were trying to do in the eye for an eye match. But it was just weird. I thought if you're going to if you really wanted to embrace all the wackiness and it didn't seem like WWE was a fan of it. But if you were trying to do this, I thought doing it in a wacky type of way would have been the way to go and just embrace it. I mean. Seth vomiting, you know, and then just not even showing the eye, like, or at least a clear view of the eye to just kind of sell how dangerous this is. I thought it was, it, it was an idea that someone in creative light and that half of the creative team or the agents or whoever, or even Vince was not fully on board with. So they were just kind of like, all right, all right, let's see how this goes without ever like having an actual plan in mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then we moved on to Asuka and Sasha Banks. This was my favorite match up until the finish. Very competitive early on. Uh, a little bit of a back and forth. I don't like it when they call Asuka's move the hip attack because it's it's the flat of the... It's it's her ass. Like, why, why don't yeah. they call it the ass attack? She doesn't hit anybody with her hips. Um, but she she uh, she hits she hit Sasha. Sasha went flying outside the ring. Sasha started tweaking on uh, on the fingers, Marty Skrull style. Uh, Asuka was in a sitting position and uh, she sat on uh, her neck and did like uh, the old stump puller, except she was pulling her arms back. Uh, so that was kind of a cool little move, wearing her down. You got to you got to wear Asuka down. You can, you're not going to just win in a flash way. Oscar's come back. She's using her kicks, spinning back fist. Um, they're, you know, they're 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 trying to suplex. They're trying to German suplex each other to the outside. Sasha goes underneath and does the power bomb into the plexiglass. They are absolutely overdoing these plexiglass spots. It was really cool when they first started doing them, and now just like everything, they just overdo the hell out of them. Uh, Sasha goes to the top. It's a great frog splash for a near fall. Puts in the bank statement. Oscar fights out of it. Asuka gets two Germans and then a butt attack for a two count. Sasha with a running knee for a two count. Uh, Asuka had Sasha on the top rope and was going to German her from the top. 
but Sasha did the full revolution to land on her feet and she teased hurting her knee. Uh, Asuka went for the Asuka lock. Bailey tried to interfere and here's where a great match went to absolute hell. So Bailey is uh, jumps up to the steps. Uh, I mean, onto the apron. Kyrie Sane goes for uh, you know fights her off. Then they start fighting before Bailey uh, knocks her out. Right before that, Sasha's. I, I, I'm assuming that Sasha is wearing a wig because her wig. Or her hair. I, I don't. I don't think this is real hair because I don't think real hair moves like this. But all of a sudden, the wig kind of raises a little bit, and you see her freak out like she grabs it immediately. And I don't think Asuka realized because Asuka went for the Asuka lock, and it just kind of pulled the hair because you know Sasha's hair is so long, so she's putting on the Asuka lock. It's pulling the hair down, and so Bailey's trying. I mean, Sasha's trying to keep this thing on, and then. Um, so that's when that's when Bailey comes in and and it, it throws everything off. Now the finish still would have sucked if this didn't happen, but I think this threw the timing off of everything. Bailey comes in uh, and she just throws the belt, one of the belts, uh, the tag belts, into the ring, and the ref is just like, "What are you doing?" So he grabs the belt and he then sends it to the outside, but does it in just like this slow way. So obviously Bailey's still in the ring. Asuka goes to spit the mist um, and she misses Sasha and it goes right into the referee's eyes. So the referee's out of commission. Bailey hits Asuka with her belt. Asuka's out. She takes the referee's shirt off, puts it on herself and counts the pin. And they go out of this match with saying Sasha won the belt now i'm I'm gonna assume that this is to set up a rematch on raw you know maybe in the main event for for the actual title but they go out of this match with bailey wearing the the ref shirt and sasha taking the belt back to the uh, dressing room and like i'm sure the way that they wrote it was still pretty stupid but i think <laughs> The Sasha part with her hair kind of getting loose and and she her freaking out, rightfully so. Um, that was part of the problem as well, and I think it just threw everything out of whack. It was, it was really weird. It was overbooked to all hell. I thought you can you could have eliminated half of the stuff that they did, uh, and still gotten to that dumb finish. I and and my I've always believed. That you use TV to set up pay-per-view matches with a decisive finish or or at least some type of finish that can lead on to the next thing. Obviously, this was not, you know, this is not the end of it all, but it it, it kind of looked like to me that this match was the beginning of something. Or it, it, I know it's been a continuation of a rivalry between, between Asuka and Sasha Banks slash Bailey, but... It almost felt like there's something that you should have put on TV first, then set it up for the pay-per-view. Because uh, for anyone that, like, as you mentioned, who may be interested in watching the pay-per-view and they haven't been watching WWE for a while, and then they see this finish, it, it just kind of feels like, you know, wh- why am I buying the network? Or why am I buying the pay-per-view if I don't even get a decisive finish or I don't even know who is actually winning the match? 
Yeah. So it, I thought this match, I thought the finish kind of devalued the overall match, which I thought was a fantastic match. But it, it just kind of it goes back to my original point a while back. This where I said the stipulations or these finishes prevented some of these matches from being truly great. Mm-hmm. It just they're just good, but not great. And I, this was another example of the stipulation, or in this case, the finish, just kind of making no sense. And I get it; it's it's gonna set up for the, for Raw probably tomorrow, and it's gonna try to pop a rating. But I don't think you should need a great pay-per-view match with a fluky with a weird finish just to try to set up something for raw yeah so Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre the stip was that Dolph can fight in extreme rules but Drew cannot and if Drew gets disqualified or counted out Dolph wins the title so basically stacking the odds against Drew this was pretty good for what they were trying to do, I personally am probably Dolph Ziggler's biggest critic. I just don't believe in him at all. And and most of that is the way that he's booked, right? This is not, this has nothing to do with with uh, Nick Nemeth, the person. It's just his, his Dolph Ziggler character. I've never believed in him. WWE gives me zero reason to ever believe in him. And they needed someone to work Drew. He's fine. He's a really good wrestler. And they stacked the odds against Drew, which made it a... I, I don't want to say it was a compelling match, because never once did I believe Drew was losing. But it made it an interesting match. And it, and it gave Drew someone who's super athletic to work with, looks great, a lot, you know, can, can take all of the stuff that Drew does. And so they worked really well together. Um, but there was no time... Did I ever think that that Dolph had a chance to win this match? So that kind of took a little bit away from my enjoyment. But overall, I thought they did a really good job. Um, you know, Drew, so Drew's dominating early, and the way for Dolph to get the heat is he kicks him right in the junk, and that's how he gets his heat. Um, and then uh, he pulls out the chairs into the ring, which play into some of the other spots later. Uh, Dolph hits a fame asser. On the outside, and this is what I was talking about, where a lot of this stuff happening to the outside is too much. You know, Bill, Billy Gunn m- must have been upset to see his finishing move being used as a transitional move just to get back in into the ring to do a sleeper spot. So Dolph puts the sleeper on. Drew grabs the rope, but there's no rope break because it's extreme rules. So Dolph gets to hold on to the sleeper longer before Drew falls back and, and breaks the hold. Uh, Drew sets up the Claymore, but Dolph hits him with a chair as he's attempting it. He hits the zigzag near fall, gives, uh, eventually they go to the outside, hits a beautiful elbow through the table uh, as Drew was on the outside. Um, there was also a spot earlier where Drew had Dolph up for a suplex outside, and he was going to put him through a table, but then remembered he would get disqualified. So instead, he does it to the floor, which has to hurt like twice as much than going through a table. Um, so after he hits the elbow, Drew's almost counted out. He he fights back. He's about to dive in at eight, and then he kind of like falls back, and 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 at nine he finally climbs in. It was, it was sort of like a a, a New Japan nineteen count uh, type of uh, type of countout spot. Uh, not as good though. Drew, <laughs> no, no, nowhere near as good. No, no, nowhere near as good. Drew took another. So, so, so Dolph goes 
Famasser zigzag rock bottom on the top of a chair. And he's like, okay, if I can't beat this guy with those three moves back to back to back, then this is it. Doesn't two count. He's screaming at him like, why don't you just die? So he sets up the sweet chin music. And he's 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 doing the Shawn Michaels thing where he's he's doing the step and he's he's timing it, he's timing it. And the timing was slightly off because I think if the timing was perfect, this finish would have been like tremendous. But it, they went a little bit too fast. Right as he picks up his foot to to kind of do the step, Drew kips up and Dolph kind of pretends to throw the kick into a Claymore. The timing wasn't perfect, but it was still a really good finish. And uh, and uh, Drew went Drew wins the match. Claymore for the win. And uh, he is still the champion. And I'm I'm sad because he's so good. I just feel like this is going to be like one of the most forgotten runs of all time, just because everyone's going to want to forget about this time frame. Yeah, I and and I feel really bad. I was just writing on Twitter that Drew in every single big match that he's had throughout this title run, he's delivered. Tremendously, like the match against Bobby Lashley was tremendous. You know, the the match against Brock at Mania, it was pretty short, but for what it was, it was pretty entertaining and pretty compelling. Mm -hmm. Just going as two behemoths going at 100 miles per hour. And I thought this was another instance where the match was really, really good. Drew delivered. I don't want to say over delivered because he's shown time and time again that he's capable of producing great matches. I like the story. I like the stipulation that Dolph put in. It's it was unique. I thought I kind of groaned for a quick second when he said it's gonna be an extreme rule. I've been thinking like, like like good on Dolph for trolling all of us, but then he eventually <laughs> gave us the the added stipulation, which I thought was really really smart. Uh, you know, but just like you said, it was at no point that I ever actually thought Dolph was gonna win this match because. When was the last big feud Dolph has won? I mean, nothing in the last, what, 18 months Dolph has done has led me to believe that he's actually going to win the big one. You know, I didn't believe when he was going to be Kofi when they had their match uh, for the title last year. And no point that I think uh, that I thought that it was going to be Drew. So for what it was, it was a good match. Dolph is a great worker, even at this stage of his career, but just you know not very compelling and that's really more due to wwe booking than dolph ziggler or as you mentioned nick nemeth the the guy yeah yeah for sure um my favorite my favorite dolph uh ziggler story and this is actually one you know my uh my fiance she's uh she's been watching this Amy Schumer show on, I think it's on HBO max. It's like a, like a kind of like a documentary, I guess, cause she had a kid. And so to cross our worlds together and I like Amy Schumer, I think she's cool, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, Oh, I have this trivia about Amy Schumer. She used to date Dolph Ziggler and, uh, you know, well, why did they break up? Well, according to Amy, the sex was too athletic. <laughs> I have heard that too. <laughs> I I have heard do, uh, similar uh, stuff from from Amy in the past, and I was just like, you know, I don't want to think about Dolph Ziggler's sex. <laughs> I never want to think about that. 
But if it ever came to, but if I ever thought about that, I can imagine it'd be like that because <laughs> Dolph is an athletic freak. <laughs> he is. But I would never, but I never ever want that image implanted in my head ever. <laughs> All right. So the main event, you're going to have to help me with this one because I was trying to write stuff down. I was trying to pay attention and there was a lot of stuff going on. I don't, I didn't catch all of it. So the, the match starts. It's, I mean, not a match. D- Bray is, is, are we at the Wyatt family compound? Is that where we're supposed to, to be? It's so it was, yeah, it's, it lets, it's supposed to be the, the original Wyatt compound where, where you, they had Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. Yeah. It, it was supposed to be that. Okay, so, uh, but at, at some point, Randy Orton burned it down, so they, they rebuilt it. I, I think it was, I think this was, like, another part. I think this Got was, it. like, Got another it. part. I, either either that or whatever insurance Bray had <laughs> on the original place was really, really good, because the the swamp right now, the white compound, looks a lot better than what it did when Randy Orton burned it down. Yeah, so um, Bray sitting in his rocking chair, and Braun Strowman drives up in his truck, didn't he have a different car that uh, the Street Profits and uh, the Viking Raiders like ruined on one of the last shows? Yeah, I think it was. I think this. I think it was the second car because on SmackDown, uh, I, I know you don't watch much of the TV show, but actually, before the Viking Raiders and Street Profits messed that car up, uh, John Morrison and The Miz actually messed that car up by. Breaking all the windshields oh. with golf clubs and baseball bats. Oh, God. Okay, so another vehicle. Um, Strowman drives up. He looks at Bray, who's in the rocking chair, and he says, I'm home. So the way that it was shot, I was like, okay, it's more of the Boneyard match type of type of uh, shot. And I thought, at least in the beginning, okay, maybe we'll get something a little bit more close to that. Uh, did not happen. Um, so even though Strowman's headlights on on the truck were on, Bray was still able to make the entire um, nature, all of nature and the environment, go pitch black for a second. And when it comes back, when when all the lights come back, he's not sitting in the chair anymore. So Strowman picks up a chair, throws it. All of a sudden, two guys jump him. I think they were supposed to be Rowan and Harper, or we're supposed to believe that they were Rowan and Harper, but they were not. They they were not. Yeah, yeah. They, they, it, you didn't was, show their I, face. I, that's what I led um, led to believe because of their attire, but it was it, like not a good job masking <laughs> that they were obviously not Rowan and Harper. Yeah, and so then, um, so the screen goes back to. Bray in like a funhouse type of setting, but he's not he 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 is uh like mean Bray, not happy Bray, and he's like cheering cheering on Braun. Uh so Braun is hit with a shovel and he looks up at the person who hits him with a shovel and is actually himself in a sheep mask. And then all of a sudden he's chained to a rocking chair, though those chains looked pretty loose. I'm not I'm not sure if he's actually tied up all that tightly. Uh, and and so then Bray starts the walk. He's got the lantern. The music starts, and he's playing mind games with Braun. At this is where it kind of lost me because I was trying to write and I'm trying to watch a TV and I'm trying to write. At some point, we see who I assume to be Sister Abigail. Then Braun fights is fighting with somebody. I think the guy's like got uh, he, he's he's got like some sort of 
handle. Um, and then doesn't he get, like get catch fire or something? Yeah, yeah. So so Braun basically puts the guy on fire, and the guy that is on fire is running like he like pretending that he's on fire. <laughs> like there was no enthusiasm in his run. The, in the fact that he's actually on fire and and then you kind of just move on to the i guess swampy part of the actual swamp yeah so and then you kind of start to see later on you saw the quote-unquote sister abigail figure and it turns out to be alexa bliss it's alexa bliss who is uh you know braun is sort of in love with and she's telling him oh you know i know you want to be together and then Bray attacks him, and they end up in the swamp. And then Bray tries to drown him, and he fights back up. And then they're out of the swamp, and all of a sudden, I, I lost it again. And then it looks like Bray drowned. And then we see a graphic on the screen that's basically WWE's way of ending the show. And it didn't happen. Bray comes out, out of the water, attacks Braun. And then I saw The Fiend. And then that was it. And I was like, okay, who won? Where, where like, where did my uh, trying to pay attention, where did I lose the end of this match? What happened right at the end there? You, you actually didn't miss a whole lot. So basically, they had the little graphic. And because once Bray was in the water, because we all because it almost seemed like Braun had actually won and he drowned Bray early. He didn't drown him, but at least he threw him out of the porch and into the swamp. And then the graphic just started uh, appearing and then it disappeared. And then we had Braun kind of pull Braun into the into the water. Then the water, for some reason, just turns all like bubbling red like lava. Yeah, it for for some reason, and all you see at the end is just the fiend, and that's kind of pretty much it. There, it was just it, it almost felt like there was like a couple of shots or like ten seconds of film that maybe we were supposed to see, but it didn't, <laughs> but it didn't make it to air for some reason. So I'm led to believe that Braun lost the match i guess it was it was never really a match per se it's i kind of treat it like when aj styles was like literally buried alive in the boneyard mm-hmm. match like it wasn't a match but you can kind of you can kind of tell yeah he lost the match yeah so it was it was just weird i i enjoy certain parts of it i like the alexa bliss callback because there, there might be some people that might not be aware of the whole Alexa Bliss thing. So, there, so WWE had the Mixed Match Challenge, which was like the Facebook their way of trying to churn out uh, content for Facebook. Right. And the by far the most popular team was the one of Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss, which was Team Little Big, and it was because they kept playing off like there was like some weird sexual tension between the two. And like there was, a, it was like a constant will they or will they not get together? <laughs> and then all of a sudden towards the end, there was just like, well, they just remain good friends. But like it, like it clearly, like showed that like Braun was interested in her, yeah. and then nothing came out of it. So, but I did like the the little callback. There was a, a small little reunion like a couple of months ago on SmackDown. So I thought it was really nice that they kind of made a call back to that 
I thought, you know, the it, it was goofy in some regards. I it looked more like the Firefly Funhouse match and not the Boneyard match per se. It's I think to me they're going to the well one too many times with these cinematic matches. I, I think that, you know, I for storyline purposes, I guess it makes sense. Did they, did they really need to do a whole thing with Eater of Worlds Bray? I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is setting up to Fiend versus Braun for the title, but I don't know. I'm just not a fan of, uh, of a cinematic match just constantly being thrown at us once a month. I, I, I like that there was... I, I like the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. But I thought to myself, if they do this once every month, it's going to come to a point where their the creativity is not going to be there or the, you know, this, the luster is going to be gone. And it's just, I kind of think we're starting to get to that point where it's like, all right, it, we're, you know, we're kind of doing too many cinematic matches. Like I get this is a weird time, but like there's there's got to be better ways to go about doing this. And I got to imagine that those are the most expensive things that they do, right? Like, because there's production, there's pre-production, there's post-production, there's putting a set together. You know, they're, those guys are out there. You know, if you saw the last ride, Undertaker's basically saying, you know, we're out there for the, you know, the whole night. So it can't be, you know, it can't be inexpensive to put these things on. And the bang for the buck is definitely, uh, you know, maybe, maybe for those first two, you got the bang for the buck, but I don't think that they've gotten one since. And, uh, you know, the money in the bank had its moments, but still, you know, the money in the bank is something that we all look forward to. And then we didn't get it because of, uh, because of that situation. But okay. So, um, I want to, uh, want to thank you for, for hanging out here and we're going to have to do this again. We will do this again. And, and like I mentioned, you know, the, w- you and I are working on possibly a couple articles here and there that, that you may write for the website. So if folks enjoy you, um, they will see you hopefully on Fight Game Media. But before we get out of here, uh, give them your social media and all, you know, the all you already talked about the YouTube, but just where people can find you if they want to, uh, you know, they, they want to see what you're going to do next. So you can find me on Twitter, which is kind of pretty much how I uh, pretty much spend all my social media time on Twitter at Carlos Toro three six zero. That and and for those of you who are in the fight game uh, podcast Facebook page, uh, you're kind of sort of seeing that I'm <laughs> kind of showing up here and there, whether it be for boxing for wrestling related posts. So if you're on that Facebook group, which I highly recommend you should, because it's a lot of fun, a lot of great people just talking about just a number of different things. Uh, you're going to eventually see me post there, whether it be in a comment or just posting my own thing. And yeah, it's been a hell of a blast. It was a great uh time talking to you about extreme rules it was a horror show in more ways than one but i'm glad i was able to talk to you about this because i don't think i can talk to my girlfriend for a whole hour (laughs) on this um hopefully the next time we chat there there will be more stuff on boxing you know things are kind of getting back i don't think we're gonna have any pay-per-view fights anytime soon but um you know, I, I for those who have not yet read Carlos, uh, I think you will enjoy his stuff, especially if you're a boxing fan, because Carlos is really he, he's clued in on everything. And so hopefully, you know, we'll get some stuff up and, and you guys can read him and, and enjoy him like I do. 
All right, it's time where we would normally talk about WCW Saturday Night, but WWE Network did not have this episode that we were trying to watch. And as John mentioned on Friday's show, our buddy, the great Robert Silva, actually sent us the YouTube version of the show, but for whatever reason, the uh, the sound was off or not, not working. So um, we instead are going to review the Great American Bash, which would have been uh, six days before this show. And we'll just talk about this show, which was uh, really the first big show for the Bill Watts era of WCW. And it is very... You know, this is a this is a, a vast difference if you were to go back one year mm-hmm. to the WCW product to to see what they were doing then to what they were doing now. It is really different, almost to like is in a sense it was uh, kind of going backwards, right? Like it was Watts saying, "Okay, let's rewind f- about seven years, and we need to take wrestling back to what it was like in 1984, 1985." Yeah, I mean, a year ago from you know this pay per view, 1992, WCW is looking like WWE Light, right, or WWF Light, because mm-hmm. Dusty just came back from New York and. He was taking a lot of the stuff that he saw Vince was doing there when he was there and a lot of the crazy gimmicks and everyone was getting a gimmick and was, he was hit missing on these gimmicks left and right, Pia News, Black Blood, Oz, etc. And um, you know, Watts wanted to bring back to hard nose smash mouth pro wrestling and and uh tough men and grudges and uh, so yeah, definitely, and the and more uh, wrestling. I mean, amateur wrestling in matches. Uh, guys actually uh, uh, just just actually looking like it's a contest instead of just going out there and you know messing around. Which, in some of the matches, was to the benefit, and to others, it was not necessarily to their benefit. Yeah, yeah, some. I mean, this this pay per view in general. I mean, I mean, back when I was younger, I I just remember being disappointed in the fact that I wish I just got a regular pay per view with a lot of different matches. Yeah, like I said, I just don't understand why they decided to do this NWA stuff. I I think you know, but it's it's cool to have the big gold belt back, but at the same time it's like we've already got went past this like you know mm-hmm. it's it was not it's not february 1991 you know or or end of january 91 where it's like oh what wcw and this and that and you know i think we're by by a year later we're, we're we're fine you know hey it's wcw this is what our championships look like and yeah you know i just i just i don't, I don't know and you said that watts didn't really want to do the i think in your research that watts really didn't yeah, want this like, tournament I think a lot of this stuff was just handed to him, and when he came in, it had already gotten kicked off. So he had he felt that they needed to continue doing it. But in in within this time frame, they get the like you said the the NWA title back from Flair, and uh, they win it in the injunction or or whatever it was, and then they they have to pay Flair right because they're holding his. The, the 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 money that he puts down for the title and so he find he gets that money back <laughs> um nice little payday but th- but then on this show bill watts talks about the nwa singles tournament 
So I don't like I don't know if the if the building was booked in, in New Japan for New Japan, so he had to go go through with this. But you know, it's not it's not like this thing was already in in uh, progress when he took over. So they are doing a second tournament in um, August in uh, in Japan. And they named a bunch of wrestlers, and uh, I think um, there was one that Meltzer had mentioned that was like a replacement. Jim Neidhart? Yeah, it was Neidhart. Who did he replace? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. Who he... It may, may have replaced Vader, actually. Was Vader in it? I think Vader and Ron Simmons were originally in it. Oh, yeah. We probably, you know, Watson didn't want that to happen because yeah. of uh, what was going to happen later, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if maybe New Japan was like, hey, we'll, I mean, we'll take it and we'll use this to crown, you know, to really push Masahiro Chono because, you know, we're definitely going to be bringing, ascending him to the main event status. Or I don't know. I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was fine if they were going to unify the titles, right? Soon. But they didn't. And like I said, I'd rather have like, It'd be fun. I should have. I should have. I'm sure you talked about this before, but it would have been fun to say, "Hey, we should know. We should have done is made our own bash cards <laughs> mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then present it here on the show. We should we should have done that. But um, like same thing with Starcade in 1989 with with the Iron Man tournaments, the tag team tournaments. Like I I like the Iron Man idea. I just don't like it for Starcade. I like Battle Bowl idea. I just don't like it for Starcade. Um, so same thing here, like, God, it's like, we wasted a whole pay-per-view and would, you know, and that crowd there, honestly, it wasn't there for the tag team tournament. They were there for one match and one match only. And that was for Sting versus Vader for the WCW. That's what, that's what they were in, been invested in by watching their TV. So a couple of other little tidbits of information. So no Paul E and no Missy Hyatt on this show. Yeah, I don't know why Watts and Paul Heyman always had issues or they didn't get along or something. I just think, you know. I'm sure it had something to do with the fact that Watts probably thought dangerously overpaid. or Heyman was overpaid, right? Yeah. Well, he, you know, that he was, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people, you know, hit, you know, he's going to be get heat for this, but that's his job. It's like, you know, he had to come in not only just to, you know, book and create a you know a product that's going to draw ratings on television etc and pay-per-view buys but like he's also there to fix this budget that kind of got out of control with kit fry and and you know and i don't know if heard really signed too many people to these crazy contracts i remember i remember he's the famous one was he kept giving raises to the midnight express and cornet kept getting more and more money or something like that so um but yeah, he was there to kind of like, cause you know, they weren't making much money or, you know, they wanted to get out of the red and he was there to try to cut the corners and, you know, he had to be the bad guy, but that's his job. So like you mentioned, he's, he's trying to cut guys and he's trying to get them to take nightly deals. And the problem with that for the talent is if you get hurt, you, you don't make any money. Um, the guaranteed deals that that some of the guys had signed, you know, he's really he's really upset at some of those, specifically someone like Brian Pillman, right? Like, had, like, you know, and, and I think I think maybe the strategy is to make certain folks so unhappy mm-hmm. that they don't want to be there, so that they he can release them from from those deals. 
um, morale is is supposedly pretty low at this time because of the belief that you know you know wrestlers want security first and foremost, right? Like like if they're going to get paid to wrestle and they sign a contract, like there's some security there uh, that that would you know would not, would, would would be something that that. Sh- allows them to not be so anxiety ridden mm-hmm. all the time. And he's, and he wants the opposite. He would rather these guys work nightly deals so that, you know, if they are great, then he'll just raise the the nightly deal. And if they suck, then he just doesn't have to pay them anymore. And then they, they leave. So interesting sort of, uh, you know, GM, uh, versus talent kind of, uh, kind of thing going on. Um, and what was the other thing that I had? That might be it. Brian Pillman and him, too. Like, you think Brian Pillman's like a Watts guy, right? I mean, hardworking, uh, football background, good worker in the ring, super talented. Like, you think that he's a, that, that's, that's like, I mean, maybe, I think it's just simply the contract, right? Like, He's just looking at the the numbers, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, we, we, he probably makes a little bit more than probably what he's really worth. But at the same time, um, he's a phenomenal guy to have in your locker room, phenomenal guy to have in, on the card. It's like, I would, you know, unfortunately, don't put heat on Brian for that, for the contract that he signed with the people before us. Cut it somewhere else. Like, cut freaking Van Hammer, you know. Like, <laughs> sorry, Van Hammer, but. But I think I think Watts like liked Hammer because I think he kind of pushed him a little bit. So made the okay. Thing. So this show, this show, yeah, this show starts with the tournament. Now the um, Gordy and Williams have a little bit of an advantage here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because they, they won they the, have, their their match at the Clash, the semi. So so they have one less match than everybody else or, or then fo- then then the if you're going to go to the finals because they already have advanced to the next round. So first match starts. It's Ricky the Dragon and Nikita against uh, Jush- Jushin Liger and Brian Pillman. Um, in this match, because it was NWA rules, uh, you could come off the top rope and that and that, you know, it's kind of I guess maybe I, I don't know how this played into the booking, but you know, Pillman's high flyingness kind of works against him in this match, mm-hmm. and it causes them to lose. As uh, Steamboat, he hits a high cross off the top rope, and uh, and and Steamboat rolled through and, and gets the pin. Uh, I thought it was okay, but if you if you say if you tell me in 1992 that there's a match with Ricky Steamboat, Jushin Liger, and Brian Pillman in it, I don't care if it's Nikita, I don't care if it's um, I'm trying to think of a you know a, a really bad wrestler, uh, I, you know. Ke- but with Nikita's not three, bad though. Nikita is pretty one dimensional at this point. He, he's he's pretty one dimensional, um, but I, I would I would think like oh man we're gonna get something great and it was good but I don't think it ever reached any level of where I was like okay I, this is exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah, the story is that. You know, Steamboat and Nikita wrestles this long match between these two smaller guys, and um, you know they they took a lot out of them, right? Took a lot to beat these guys, a lot of energy. 
So the, when they get their match, the semifinal match with you know Doc and Gordy, like they're exhausted, right? They've already been through us. Like I think this match went over what over fifteen minutes, I believe. It was nineteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Twenty almost a twenty minute match. So there's a disadvantage. Not only the the team they're facing had a you know basically a buy on the show, um, they also you know just wrestled twenty minutes. So yeah, you know it's just it's to protect Steamboat and Nikita because they were definitely losing, obviously. In the second match, you had Hiroshi Hase against Shin, and Shinya Hashimoto against the Freebirds. And this is what I was talking about, where this version of the Freebirds, when you make it an athletic competition like you said, it does not work mm-hmm. to their advantage. And so this match was not really, uh, really much. Um, the uh, the Japanese team wins the match and moves on to the to the next uh, to the next round. That's the first time I've seen Shinya Hashimoto. This is I mean I mean I, as a kid I'm talking about I've seen of course many times after that, but uh, did not realize I liked him, but I didn't realize like wow this guy was going to be a a, a big time star for in Japan. Um, Hase I already knew from the year before with the stuff with the Steiner brothers. Um. But, uh, you know, this is definitely a lot better match than Freebirds versus Silver King and Texana from uh, The Clash, <laughs> which I still recommend people. If you want a good chuckle, definitely watch that match. Dustin and Barry Windham against Rick Rude and Stunning Steve. I will say I was also disappointed in this match. It just was so slow, lots of holds, mm-hmm. but with the talent involved, right? And we have this Austin and Barry Windham thing that they just did a whole big thing about on on one of the Saturday nights, and I didn't really feel like you know that 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 was. I, I thought that was actually going to carry the match, but mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like it did. Uh, Rick Rude really upset that they lost the match, um, and. I don't know, just uh, another one where I would have said, if you told me these are the four guys in this match, I'm like, okay, I- I'm really excited. And I, th- I feel like they under-delivered. The crowd got up a little bit for this match, but at the same time, I th- they knew, like, they're like, they're these people are like, why are we having this tournament for these tag titles when, you know, we already have tag champions? So, but I think this match has different crowd reaction, a lot more excitement if you do Rick Rude versus Barry Windham and as a singles and then you know dustin rhodes and steve austin as singles or you can flip-flop dustin and barry doesn't matter like mm-hmm. you know i think it'd be a, a, a different story when it comes to people the fans because the fans a lot of times are they they were respectful but they didn't really get up for anything until until it was sting invader i still love austin in this time frame i still think he, oh, yeah. he you know, he just looks like an app. He looks like the future of wrestling when you watch him. And uh, yeah, he was. And he would be. He, was, he yeah. would become, but just not in WCW. Yeah, I mean, shoot. I mean, two years ago, I thought he was the. You know, two years, it was 92. So two years, 1990, if watching USWA with his feud Chris Adams, I thought, wow, this guy, he had something. A look, great look. And and he's so good. He's such a good wrestler. and uh, But he's still progressing. He's still like. On to the next level. He's still like, you know, the TV title. You know, he like I said, like in 94, we talked about this on Twitter. Like uh, 94 is like really I could see like, man, this guy, he could be the next Ric Flair of this company. Yeah, yeah, totally. So then we had Dr. Death and Terry Gordy against Steamboat and Koloff. And again, what you said with the the more realistic style, I think that, that really hurt 
um, the dragon. And, you know, really, if, if this match is going to work, he's got to be in it most of the way. And, they, you know, they made the hot tag to Koloff, but then Steamboat comes back in and he's he's got to lose the match. I don't know, just an, another one where I'm just like, the amount of talent in the ring did not actually equal a really good wrestling match. They try to tell a story where the of the you know the big powerhouse guys wearing down the team that's already wrestled right, and it was a lot of grappling, I mean, good grappling. I mean, I I liked that, but at the same time, I just like not what the crowd was wanting. Like they're just waiting, they're just waiting for Sting Invader. I could just tell, and they didn't they didn't want another long match here. They just didn't want it, and. They, That's the story of this whole show. Yeah, like, it's a lo- wasn't there wasn't the only match that was under ten minutes is the match with the Freebirds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything was so long, and I think long matches for stuff that people don't really care about this NBA tournament. And um, but it, the match is fine. I, I Ma- imagine taking the Steiners out of this <sighs> show. They did get up when the Steiners showed up at the finals, yeah. but um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was it's it's a good match if you're just looking at the match, but it could have been a great match if under different circumstances. So then we have Rhodes and Wyndham against Hashimoto and Hase. This was good. It was it was totally fine. Oh, you knew that the Japanese guys weren't winning this match. Mm-hmm. You you know so so that made it very predictable. But watching this match, you know, you're looking at Dustin and Barry, and you know. Tall guys with leverage, thin. You know, it's like what it's like Dustin. You know, what's Dustin's? Uh, if Dustin reaches his peak, he could be Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. He didn't. I don't. I don't know if he necessarily got there, though. He became a bigger star because of Goldust yeah, yeah. than than Barry. But from a wrestling standpoint, like that's his apex, right? So you have like Barry Windham and a young Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that uh, that dynamic about this match. Uh, and it, it was it was good. It was it was better than the previous ones. I thought Dustin was in shape for this show. He looked good. I think it's one of the best he's looked since joining WWE. So it's time like he had the muscle, some muscle. Um, I always liked this team of Barry and and Dustin. They just complement each other so well, and they end up having a really good match later in the year, which I'm looking forward to watching again. It's one of my favorite television matches. Um, with Doc and Gordy. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this match is fine. You know, Hase and Hashimoto both can work, you know, with the U- U.S. guys, no problem. Ha- Hase, you know, is one of the best wrestlers of all time, you know, inside that ring. So, yeah, it was fine. And then we had a barn burner Thank with Peter and Sting. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, it was pretty cool because, so Vader's obviously this killer. And, this, this you know, obviously Vader's going to win this match. Mm-hmm. But Sting comes out like a house on fire. Yeah. Just like on fire throughout. And even, you know, even uh, like he, it was almost like he, he, you know, he wanted to prove that, that I don't know what, I don't know what he was trying to prove, but I just thought he came out and had a dynamite match, did everything, did power. Vader went up for him on stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he does this thing where, uh, Sting has Vader on his back and he's kind of like uh, or on his shoulders and, and he's like trying to like just go from like a little bit of a bent knee position to a straight leg so that he could dump him on his back. I thought that was awesome. Really fun match. Stiff, you know, there was stiff, some stiff moments, uh, but, you know, nothing that you would normally see on 
WCW and, and actually probably more like a match that you would see if these guys had it in Japan. St- I mean, Sting did a tremendous job here of making Vader. You know, I mean, I mean, fans at the same at this time, U.S. fans at least, you know, they thought he was a you know Vader was oh man, looks he's he's intimidating, he's a big guy, but they didn't really understand the history, right? How much of a draw he was in Japan, and he has been on the world, and you know they didn't really understand the international stuff. But like, so this is the match that really got over Vader. This right here, this was perfect sting did a great job i love the opening minutes of him just being right off the bat just overpowered and and you know just vader just clocking him with those you know hard forearm shots and he would get steam would get some momentum but then get cut off um i love this match this match i was one of my favorites it's not my favorite of their series i i, I feel their match at star k92 is just a little bit better but i just love the idea that this monster came in and just cleanly, you know, they gave Sting out with the with the finish a little bit, but for the most part, it was a straight, clean, decisive win by a heel, you know, monster champion and monster heel. So I I loved it. And I like this match here, I loved it so much that I wanted to recreate it in a way. Um when I was booking all for wrestling, I had a wrestler named Dylan Drake. And he was, when I took the book over, he was just a mid-card guy, just actually just kind of debuted, but he's tall, good looking, great personality. I, he had wrestling ability. Um, he can sell and he can you know, have nice comebacks. So I was like, oh man, this is the guy I'm going to build around. He's going to be my sting slash magnet TA, right? And so, you know, not only that to build him up from the ground up, because now I had to make him an incredible challenger into a champion. He had to win the championship from a, you know, credible champion, which I accomplished all that. But, you know, the, mo- the most important thing about when you create a new champion or a new star, or a new top guy is like, you need to follow up, right? They need to keep the momentum going. So what I did was like, I'm going to have this guy be a champion for a very long time. You know, usually, we, you know, APW before that, we kept taking the belt so fast. But I made Dylan a 11 months champion, and and I always thought like, how is it going to end? And I remember thinking like, I want to end like Vader Sting, Bash ninety two. I want to just he's he's gone through everyone. All of a sudden, he runs into a wall, right? And so there's two guys up for this spot. And one was a guy named Dalton Frost. His name was Drake Frost. I called him Dalton Frost. Gave him the whole Stan Hansen gimmick and. And it was pretty awesome. And there's another guy named Malachi who used to hang out with the Reno Scum guys. Really big, badass guy. And he won out just because Malachi's an interesting character. He was like not really focused. He, before he like in and out. Like one time he'd be focused on wrestling. He's really passionate about it. Then he'd kind of like fall off a little bit. But like he was focused for a long time. And I was like, okay, this is time to pull a trigger on. And then and I remember I did it on a show. I like to do weird things and different things. We have two shows at APW. We have Halloween Havoc and we have Christmas Chaos, right? Those are our big, like, you know, I guess you're... It's called Halloween Havoc? Oh, it's our Halloween Hell. Gosh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Halloween Hell. I'm in the WCW band. Um, Halloween Hell was our big October show, which is probably our big, aka WrestleMania kind of show, like, right? And then Christmas Chaos was, like, just below that. I changed the title in November. And what I and you know because a lot of people would that that show would be the draw the show that drew less you know because you know oh you know, nothing's gonna happen on the November show because it's either gonna happen October or December and that night we didn't draw as much as we normally did for October and December 
But I did that for a reason. One, because I wanted people to be like, oh shit, I missed it. I can't miss any shows now on, right? And I wanted that, you know, that's what I wanted. I can't miss. And also wanted to, you know, and that's what happened. You know, Dylan wrestled Malachi. It was like about, you know, nine minute match. And he just got big booted and pinned. And people were like, holy cow, I can't believe Dylan Drake lost like that, right? Same thing here. Like, I, I when I was a kid, I'll never forget this. Like, I always talk to my friend Chad Ying when I grew up. Of course, this is another classic. <laughs> Gave uh, Chad a VHS tape. He's recording it. His dad, Ron's pissed. We're shooting hoops in the front. And I didn't even watch anything. I just waited till the tape was over, got it, and went home. And I couldn't believe that Sting lost. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe when I saw him, Vader hit that power bomb and like see Sting laid out like that. Like, oh my God. Like, it to me, I liked Vader. I thought he looked cool. But to me, that made him like, oh my God, this guy is, this guy I have to pay attention to, right? Sorry for a long, Absolutely. A long story there, but like it just this this is this match is so important to me, and and, and it holds up great today. Okay, so here's a question about Sting. Obviously, he's the champion, mm-hmm. and so that's why it's a little bit it's a little bit weird in in the in the way that that it works here because he is not chasing Vader here. He's the, he's the champ actually, and he's kind of like the underdog champion, which is an interesting story. If Sting, okay, let, let's say that Flair leaves, and instead of Luger, Sting is chasing this version of Van Vader. Because how great Vader is, and how destructive he is, and how almost, you know, in, in, uh, he almost looks unbeatable in, in a sense, the way that they book him. If that version of Vader is who Sting conquers and climbs the mountaintop and beats, I wonder if his career as the champion in those you know er, er, early '90s of WCW is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean that'd be great. That would be great stuff. I mean, I I always thought they should have booked that. They kind of you know he, in '93 he does beat Vader, but it's like in Europe and they don't show footage of it, and it's only like a six day rain or not like that maybe three days or something like that and mm-hmm. you know like he he got his big win which will come later in the year but it was wasn't was, wasn't for the title it was for some you know tournament that really didn't you know mean anything and they even brought that, was that the back. king of cables yes. the king of cable <laughs> but that match is fantastic and steam finally gets his big win over vader they, i mean they, they they pretty much always had great yeah. matches yeah yeah and they, and they end up continuing on wrestling more and more and throughout 93 and 94 but like that that was like the big win it was that star k92 for sting over vader um sting also you can you can it's a kind of a guy that's i when i say like the undertaker i mean he's like a gimmick right the face paint he's popular the belt he doesn't need the belt to be popular or or you know you know it's it the belt helps people right you know sting doesn't need that help vader needed it for united states the man who beats vader in a couple weeks um spoiler alert um you know he he needed it right he needed it Uh, you know we'll talk more about it you know the next rain coming up but Mm -hmm. but um you know, Watts knew that. Watts knew that Sting, you know, he will be fine, right? But um, I need this belt to help my new, another main event I want to create. And um, yeah, it it would have been better. It wasn't the the the, the person he picked that was wrong. I think it was the the lack of challengers that was the problem. Mm-hmm. 
All right. And uh, so the main event of this show is Doc and Gordy beating Dustin, uh, Dustin and Barry to win the NWA Tag Title. At this point, people are like, after we just saw this great match, they then go 21 minutes and to end this show. For a championship no one cares about, right? Um, but they, they got into it towards the end, though. The last few minutes, they get little, they get into it. But um, but yeah, I know. Like, See, if this was just this match, it was just Barry and I know there are, I know I already booked on the Wrestle Rude and Steve Austin singles match, but say you had different matches for those guys. Mm hmm. But if you just had this as a tag title match, right? I think people would have been into it, but it's on its own. But um, damn it, it should have been Steiner versus Doc and Gordy here's rematch. That's what I, yeah, damn sure should have been. been, man. The people wanted it. They came out, Steiner's come out to kind of, you know, I don't know why they're so pissed because they, they, they lost via clean at the Omni on July 5th. So I don't know. They're just... You know, Bill Watts is really selling that. Oh, something's going to happen. And sure enough, uh, what they just came out and they got taken away. They got sent. Yeah. Yeah, they got sent back. Yeah, so that was a kind of a, that was definitely a, a, you know, switch, cut bait on, you know, switch bait on us on that one. So, the, you know, so I, I can, I can remember, you know, I, I am, let's see, I'm, I'm 16. You know, I am just at my the the year before I was at my peak of wrestling fandom because I just realized that there was, you know, the, these <laughs> these talk shows and these newsletters where they talked about stuff, and so um, I'm still pretty high in my fandom though it is it is waning. You know, I'm a junior in high school or whatever, so or actually a sophomore, but uh, you know, my my wrestling is not is going to start being not as important to me as it was just a few years earlier, but I'm still really on top of this stuff. So my whole thing going into this WCW was I can't wait because from everything I know, Bill Watts is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And if anybody can compete with Vince, it's going to be Bill Watts. And so I'm so excited for him to come in and then, you know, he, he makes the changes that we talked about last week, the commandments. And I was like, well, okay. Well, I'm going to give him a chance. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then this show, I was just disappointed. And I, I wasn't disappointed like I was in like uh, Great American Bash 91. <laughs> like that's a whole different disappointment, right? I was disappointed because my expectations were so high in what he was going to be able to do. And, you know, I, I don't think he fulfilled anybody's expectations really like the product was smarter and dumb stuff happened less and the matches were more realistic for sure but the the reason why i watch wrestling and the excitement and the bigger than life stuff that i that i enjoyed was absolutely missing from this version of, of bill watts's product yeah he his the, the spontaneity the, the, you know the stuff that just like on UWF television like things just happen at a rapid pace mm -hmm. like things lead into another thing there's a big angle here there's chaos blah 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 like here I mean you had glimpses and moments but like I just think he never really captured it I think he maybe because of two hours of television and he felt like they need to have longer matches because mm -hmm. like with, a, with an hour he just jam packed stuff and but I think he could have done that too with two hours, you know, just just um, you know that maybe that second hour you just go crazy with all the wild stuff, and the first hour is a couple good matches, and I don't know, yeah, I know it was a disappointment, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, unlike you, I wasn't, 
I looked at it like I just knew like from pictures of the you know, UWF on the magazines I the old magazines I was able to collect and get from other people and um, I remember being just really excited because I saw the blood and I saw all the yeah all the wildness that the UWF product was 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 about. So I was hoping to get it here. We I did a little bit, but um, it's just funny how you said you're like so into wrestling in your high school. I was into it too, but I was like the only guy. Like you know, yeah. I don't know how I was able to keep my social life out. You know, do rest be a wrestling fan and have a social life after. I mean, I don't know. I just it was I made it work and. I rarely ever talked to other than my friend Chad knew I had to tape it. You know, he's the only one that really knew that I had talked to him about, which is pretty funny. I mean, he didn't really care. It was, me, it was just, it was just me and Edson really. You and, well, at least you had someone. I mean, Chad just kind of, <laughs> I think Chad at the time, you just kind of like, okay, cool. You're still into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay. Well, next week we'll be back with our, uh, WCW Saturday night reviews, the, the builds to Halloween havoc. Wow. That like, think about that, right? Like you go from, August, September, like, you know, three, three months until a show that you can build up to. And there's a clash though. Clash 20. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. True. But that's also an extension to to build to Halloween Havoc. Um, um, yeah, I know, man, I'm looking forward to watching another episode. I mean, I'm still watching, dude, you gotta watch me. We've got to go kind of go circle back and watch mid Atlantic 1985. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I watched this one show and I couldn't believe how many great promos were on this one hour of, of, of so much like you talk about jam pack and stuff like it's not like UWF where it's just, they do a lot of big angles but like they'll do like one or two or sometimes they won't have a bunch of any angles but it'll be great promos and um, it's you definitely I mean many people talk about wrestling from day into now it's, it's definitely way different you know obviously and um, you know even God, I'm even entertained by damn Kung Fu Billy Superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> Did you know, dude? He went to the Congo, the Congo, yeah. and he got that full Nelson on one of those big old gorillas in the Congo. <laughs> it's freaking awesome, dude. I had to send that to my friends. I had to send it to my my wrestling buddies, uh, the crew. I had to send that because Oliver John's a big, big Billy Superstar Kung Fu Superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> Well, I mean, just, just just think about it. Like, just you know, whatever it was, seven or eight years prior, mm-hmm. he's like He's like a humongous star, and his his comeback is to change to change his style almost completely. Yeah, but he still was. He's freaking jacked here still, though. He's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but it's it's like I mean, I mean, great promos. Ric Flair. I mean, dude, Ric Flair, Dick Slater, Terry Funk. He's he's here to collect a bounty of God. Totally Blanchard's looking for his perfect ten. I mean, Magnum TA is like, oh my God, dude. The push of IT is is just like he's all over the place. It's it's tremendous. Well, we uh, we will be back next week. So uh, thanks to Carlos uh, for John. I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. <laughs>